When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Cleveland.com podcast with your host, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, and as always, award-winning columnist from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, Terry Pluto. Terry, I have to ask you, after your Faith in You column last week about running into Marty the Robot at a grocery store on your trip to Maryland, have you been tracked, stalked, or otherwise impacted by any robots the last week in retaliation? No, but I've been hearing from people who have their own version of Marty and different, um, apparently uh, Stop and Shop and Martins are the big two, which is kind of in the eastern part of the country. They have these robots and all he does is roll around with, he's about six foot five, very skinny, no arms. So, you know, he kind of looks like some bad draft choices for the Browns (laughs) because you're kind of not sure what he does. And he basically just kind of rolls up to a spill on the floor, stands there and says, caution. And I was kind of talking to the employees. I, I got kind of intrigued by it. I never saw it before. It's like, first he was in the back of the store with me. Then I went up to the front to find something. And about three minutes later, he rolled up again. And so I don't know if he was following me. I asked him, I forgot what I was looking for distilled water or something. He did not answer. And he rolls up the spills and just stands there and says, caution. But just think, David, if he were at a Browns game and he's on the field and every time he spotted something wrong, he just stood there and said, caution. (laughs) That's what some of the Browns defenders did the other day. Yeah, just some of the running plays. (laughs) Yeah, that was was bad. But it was was a fun story to do because I was talking to different employees and um, they were kind of think he sort of gets in their way. They'll be cleaning something up and. Here he comes. Well, anyways, $35,000 for your own Marty the Robot. Uh, Yeah, for those of you who didn't listen last week or read the column, uh, Terry, this robot, um, just to recap, has big googly eyes and, like you said, $35,000. I think it's a tracking robot where it follows people around and sees what they buy. I mean, behavioral science is huge in grocery shopping. But anyway, that's just my theory. $35,000 to clean up spills is a little... He doesn't There's even clean them up. It. He doesn't. It's like a. You ever have somebody like in your house? Oh yeah, you know, you really need to go fix the roof. It's like, and this like, what your job is to find the hole in the roof and stand there and say fix it. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything. He just. 
Like you said, sort of like the Browns' defense. Oh, there he goes. Somebody better tackle him. <laughs> All right, Terry. Well, we, we can guarantee that on Thursday night there will be a robot-free zone at the Wycliffe Library. Why That's don't you very talk about true. that? <laughs> yeah, I'll be there at 7 o'clock, Wycliffe Library, and it's free. And um, You could ask a robot question if you want, but my guess is probably other topics. And they're a lot of fun. The crowds have been big at, at all these that I've been doing. I think it's a sign that people are glad to get out. Price is right. And so uh, come down. I'm signing books and talking to people and taking questions. And it's free. It's right? free. Yep. All right. See if you can get out there and enjoy that on on uh, Thursday night. So, yeah, all right, Terry, Wycliffe let's... Library. There we go. Wycliffe Library. Sorry about that. Yep. So uh, let's start with the Cavs today, Terry. The <clears throat> After the fast start, they hit a skid coming back from the road trip. Sunday, crazy game. Then we see Darius Garland. Everybody's leaving the arena the other night <laughs> during the game. Yeah. Darius Garland decides, you know what? We're not done here. We're getting blown up, but we're not done. Goes off, scores 51 points <laughs> on 16 of 31 from the field and 10 of 15 from three-point range. He almost brought them all the way back. What did you think of that 51-point performance? And I guess what, what did it mean in terms of Darius Garland becoming a national brand and a nationally recognized player to, to fans and, and people around the league? Or did it? Not, I'm not sure how much it does nationally. Um, it was remarkable in a, in a number of ways. One is when LeBron James scores 50, you sort of could see it. He's so physically dominating. You know, he could get easy buckets inside. Uh, you feel like he'll never get hurt. You know, he does, obviously. But when a guard who's six foot one at best and very slight does it, you know, as you mentioned, he had, he made uh, 10 three-pointers. I don't think he had an easy basket all night. I did watch the game. And so that's remarkable. Then you toss in the fact that he had the – I think this was a significant eye injury that he had, regardless of what they say. Even in, when, even in that game, when they would do the close-ups of him at the foul line, that I'm, I believe is his left eye. But you could tell it's swollen. It's still not right. And then he had a mild knee injury, too, on top of that. Uh, so that's why he's missed some games. But it was really good for him to go out and just get uh, get those points. Now, David, here's your question. is What the Cavs have proven is with one ball dominant guard scoring a whole bunch of points, the offense clicks pretty well. How is it going to work when they put Mitchell and Garland together? Because a few games that they have played um, – it's not been good. I believe they've played they've played six games without Garland and Mitchell with Mitchell in there. They went six and zero, and then they played uh, the game the other night without uh, Mitchell and with Garland. And while they lost, it was you know a vintage performance from Garland. I just think this is one of the questions I did have when they made the trade: is how are they going to work out? doing this now that that's not to negate the trade or anything i'm just mentioning it's a it's a different dynamic because before when they had garland and whether he was playing with rubio or playing with a or whoever else you want to put in the backcourt clearly you know where the ball was although the interesting thing david is that you know last year when rubio got hurt the two players in the nba that had the best plus minus were darius garland and rubio playing together 
Well, it's interesting you say that, Terry. I was trying to, we've been talking a little bit about lineups and what J.B. Bickerstaff can do to get some defense in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the rotation and, and get the clamps down a little bit more. I, I was in the NBA website. I was searching. I wanted to find out which lineups are kind of have been the most efficient. And so I, I want, there's been so many because of the injuries. And, and so I, I sorted it by most minutes. The, the lineup that has played the most minutes this season, they've played 100 together, was Lavert. Mitchell, Allen, Garland, and Mobley. And their plus minus is minus 0.12, okay, for per so minute. Playing, basically playing. So that's the lineup that has played the most for the Cavs this season, and they're under they're underwater on plus minus. Yeah, so this basically is interesting. Point so, zero, really. They're just playing 500. Right, exactly. And so yeah. I was curious. I, I sorted it to see by minute. So – 16 minutes or above. I was looking for lineups that have played 16 minutes or above, and there are six of them. The one that has the highest plus minus per minute is Love. Let me, let me try to guess. Okay, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Love is one of them. See if you can guess the other Love, four. Love, I will go with Wade. See in there? Yes. Um, Mitchell. Mm-hmm. That's three. Allen. Yes. And let's see. We need We need somebody else. Um, I would not put Garland in there, and it's probably somebody weird like Osman. Karis Levert was the fifth one. You got four oh, out of five, Terry. That was really good. They're they're yeah. See, see, that I lineup thought... has played sixteen minutes this season, and they're at one point six four plus minus yeah. per minute. So, I thought that was interesting. So it's, it's it, it, there's it, so many combinations that JB has to look at, and I'm sure the Cavs are looking at all this after. Yeah, that's why sometimes here. when you break it down to twos and threes, you get a better idea because you can see what okay these three are really good. Then you know who can you put around them? I still would I, I still would rather have Levert coming off the bench and and starting somebody else at that small forward spot, somebody that doesn't need the ball, and I think that would help Mitchell and Garland, and you could. You could take your pick. I wrote on Sunday because we mentioned it briefly on the last podcast and how when the Cavaliers made it, it's a it's a long ago thing, but in '88 uh, they made a trade for Larry Nance. They brought him in midseason, and they traded like Mark West and Tyron Corbin and some draft picks and Kevin Johnson for it. But at that point, they wanted to start this big front line, which would have been Nance, Hot Rod Williams and uh, Brad Doherty. Well, they put that out there, and they lost 11 of their first 14 games, playing that for the most part. And then what they did is Lenny Wilkins, the coach, convinced Hot Rod Williams to go to the bench and be the super six man, and he put Mike Sanders in the lineup. Sanders did two things. He defended, he set picks. And so that allowed, suddenly they finished the season on 11 they went, they went 11 and 2. Hot Rod thrived off the bench. And now, a lot of times in the fourth quarter, though, you would see them having those the three bigs out there, uh, especially if you want some defense. But it just seemed like uh, there was more orderly, uh, people saw the ball more, that kind of stuff. And I know Lenny Wilkins would say, and this, this has helped Kevin Love. When you have a guy who's really talented and comes off, especially early in the game, he tends to be playing against lesser players. And so you could, if he's got some defensive problems like Love, you could hide it. And then offensively, you know, he could really go out and score. Well, it'll be good, Terry, when we get a bigger sample size on some of these 
trends. Um, you know, some of them, some yeah. of the lineups were played, like you said, they were playing in blowouts. So, some minutes are not as valuable as others in different games, as we know. So it'll be interesting to see how these how these lineups kind of progress here and, and which ones they decide to try as things well, go I'll tell along. you one thing. They better stop playing um, Mitchell almost 40 minutes a game. That's got to stop. And you notice already he's missed two games. He's kind of nicked up injuries, Mitchell has. Because uh, he missed that game against Detroit, remember, where they won without either one of them. And then he missed the other night. So uh, I would really like to get him back down to the usual 33, 30, 40 he was playing in Utah. Because when he's out there, the guy's effort is maximum. I mean, he is really something. And my wife noticed that, too, we were watching him, you know, how engaged he was on the bench. I'm not just cheering, but actually talking to different players, you know, when he was out of the game, talking about Mitchell here. So that's a great sign, too. Well, yeah, and it's, you know, the thing about Mitchell, and you're just talking about this, Terry, it made me think of there was an NBA player named Eddie Johnson who mm-hmm. went to Illinois. I think he played 10 or 13 years in the NBA. A but a long I, time. I, I saw him speak at a basketball clinic one time, and he said, I've got the ball under the basket. Why should I go up and dunk it and put the strain on my legs when I can just lay it up and and take the strain off? And Eddie Johnson said, I love playing easy basketball where I, I, I make the most impact I can without crushing my body. But Donovan Mitchell, like he's like a football player. He there. is, yeah. And you're right. that Those minutes are going to pile up. So well, I just saw this. I'm not going to go real far with it, but the – Basically, he's scoring 1.3 points per drive to the basket, and that's the most in the NBA. In other words, right now, the player who drives to the basket, that means I take at least three dribbles or whatever, drives to the rim, and scoring at the highest rate is Donovan Mitchell. I mean, this guy finishes at the rim. He is so strong, and I remember that's what Mike Fratello told me. He can get to the rim anytime he wants, and he is showing that. Now, some guys get to the rim a lot and miss but not him. And, you know, he's got little variety of moves. So, I mean, this is exciting, but you can't, you want to, you don't want to kill him before Christmas with these minutes. So I wanted to ask you a question, Terry. So the fast start happens and now the Cavs have lost four in a row coming off Mm -hmm. of this West coast trip. How should people feel about this team right now? I think it should feel really good. The uh, granted, nobody likes the losing, they won three overtime games. I mean, they were very close to losing some of those games during the uh, um, eight-game eight right, winning streak. And I think um, Chris Fido was talking to Kevin Love, said we have to admit in some of those games the balls really did bounce the right way. And then you had a couple other games like against Golden State where um, a couple of key calls at the end went the wrong way. And the, the Pulse game officials report showed it did. I mean, that one game where Clay Thompson – uh, made that um, three-pointer. I forgot who it was, Draymond Green or somebody. It was like a pulling guard. Too bad the Browns didn't have their offensive line moving like he did there, and there was no call. So uh, I, I'm I'm very upbeat about it. You know, a key guy for their defense, and I'm not going to get caught up in all the stats that reveals it, but it's Jared Allen. And I saw this on ESPN last year when Jared Allen was in the lineup the Cavs ranked number four in defensive efficiency. When he was not in the lineup, they ranked 16th. So that's still not terrible, by the way. It's a lot better than it used to be. And already this year, there's been a couple of games like, well, he didn't play the other night against the, the Timberwolves. and what They gave up 100 and whatever it was, 127. Uh, Allen, at, 
Allen is the most underrated player on the team and one of the most underrated in the entire NBA because he hardly ever misses. He makes about 70% of his free throws. He loves to defend. And he's got a, just sort of a great happy attitude he brings to the game. Yeah, and uh, Chris Fedor is actually working on a story on Jared Allen that I'm really excited to read just about that, all that, Terry. Just about it. he doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time. When he gets it, it's usually an efficient play. And he's just he fits perfectly for what this team is. So that was the turning. That trade was the start of the Cavs rebuild. That really was the one because they made that deal. It was a four-way deal with James Harden going somewhere and all this stuff. And um, they had an extra first-round pick that belonged to Milwaukee. They threw it in. They brought Jared Allen in. He was going to be a restricted free agent. They were able to sign him uh, after that season. Um, and then uh, last year was his first full year, and he makes the all-star team. I'll tell you this. The Cavs should be glad that Jared Allen is, in terms of someone selfish, almost happy-go-lucky. I'll tell you this. If I'm getting all these defensive accolades and I'm shooting close to 65% from the field, I'd be mad that I, I wasn't getting the ball more than Jared Allen. I'm sure I'd go, what you guys was firing up all this stuff? You know, granted, they always do. Well, if you take three you know, you take six three-pointers and you make two, you know, that's, you know, six points and two points versus three points. This fact is, if I'm shooting 65% on twos, that's about as good as it gets. So feed the ball to him. Yep. <laughs> make the big man happy. That's right. So the, um, you know, a lot of people are upset about the defense, and JB has been. We yeah. talked about that last week. But I, I was interested – and just to kind of bring people back to earth a little bit, like this is, it was just a long West Coast trip. They get back. They had a dud of a game on Sunday. They still almost won it. The Cavs are still tied for third in the NBA in defensive rating. But, uh, it's Milwaukee, the Clippers, and then the Cavs are tied with the Suns. And then it's the Sixers and the Blazers. So even with all the hand-wringing about the defense, if you look at the numbers, they're still in the top five in the league, in the top three in the league tied. So I was surprised that's a good to see sign. that. Myself, yeah. yeah. It just shows how – well, first of all, I would say a good half of the teams in the NBA, regardless of what they say, they just don't think about defense much at all. And secondly, you know, the shooting keeps getting better and better. Uh, for all the wringing of hands and all it's all athletics and guys just running and dunking, no, it's not. I mean, it's, I'm not sure what's considered a bad shot in the NBA – these days because it seems like almost anybody by the way my guy Jared Allen did take one or two really dumb long corner shots they did hit the rim but no that's not what you want him doing uh, yeah Steph Curry and Garland could shoot from 35 feet and that but not everybody not all three-point shooters are created equal and that is not should not be available to, to some of the players the point being the offense is really um, bloomed across the league so even when it seems like the defense isn't as good as it should be it's it's being played at a lot worse level you know i'll tell you i'm watching that game with minnesota and garland's going off how do you not if you're coaching minnesota the moment he crosses half court double team him you could double team him you drop you have two big seven footers you drop the other two under the basket you run a couple guys at him make somebody else beat you and I see that over and over in the NBA. They just 
they don't double team that much. They, you know, they they just think, well, if I switch off on a pick, or they worry about if I double team him, he's going to throw it to somebody. Well, let somebody else beat me. I mean, I hope they. There were some games with Donovan Mitchell, but I will say this: he is so strong that you know they double team him. He kind of bulls his way like like Nick Chubb up the middle. He bounces off a tackle or something, and he's he's free. So I had no idea. Because you have to watch it over a series of games in a short span, how strong Mitchell is physically. Not just the jumping, just physically strong. Yeah, it's like a mini LeBron going to the hoop in 2007 against the Pistons. Yeah, or just as jeez. <laughs> yeah. So, but you can't do it. He can't keep doing that, and he can't keep playing 40 minutes. And I think JB JB does know that. Um, but it's. It's pretty. It's pretty phenomenal how uh, how he's played, and we would not have wanted to see. By the way, I must say this: the last time I looked, uh, Utah, I believe, is something like twelve and four. And, Story of the year in the NBA, really is. Yeah, and and uh, Laurie Markkinen, who I remember, I kept saying, "Gee, I didn't want to give up Laurie. I really like Laurie. I mean, he's averaging like 22 points and nine rebounds. I didn't know he was going to do that, but I kept insisting he was underrated. And Sexton is in the role he should be. He's getting 13 points in about 22 minutes a game. And one of my other favorites, and I liked him when he was here, is Jordan Clarkson. He's getting like 16 points. So they got Market and Clarkson. Sexton are like three of their top four scorers. I think Mike Connolly's still with them. So, um, I mean, good for them. I still make, you know, I still make the trade there, but I just want to mention the Cavs gave up some quality. Now, Baje, who was the rookie that was in that trade, he hardly plays at all. Yeah, it's one of those uh, win-win trades that the GMs yeah. talk about where both teams benefited. So. I'll tell you one thing. If I'm trading with Danny Ainge, I, I got really keep both hands on my both my wallet and another one on my computer uh, cause, so he doesn't try to – to hack into my bank account because the trades he's made over the years for draft picks and everything else going back to the Celtics are pretty remarkable. Yep. He's very good at his job. Uh, we got to take a break here, Terry, but I do want to ask you, are you worried about Isaac Okoro at this point? I know it's really early, but yes, Chris Fedor wrote a, a great feature about how the Cavs were trying to rebuild his shot. 2.6 points a game, 1.5 rebounds. He's shooting 33% from the field. Um, or yes. Is it time to worry about him? Yes, I would, and I would play Lamar Stevens over him. All right. We'll see how that goes. There is only one ball, but when Isaac – I mean, you watch games. I think they're leaving him open um, on Wide many open. occasions yeah. and, and doubling some other guys. So we'll see how they – And he's not going to, to the rim very that. often, too. Lamar's not a very good shooter either, but, you know, he'll just – he he's another he's like, sort of like Mitchell. I'm I'm coming. <laughs> Stop me. And that he, he tends to um, create some havoc in there and and score. So I'd rather see more of Lamar Stevens and, and not just because he played well the other night. Last year he had a lot of good games coming off the bench. He was underrated also. All right, Cavs have an interesting stretch coming up here, Terry. Wednesday night, they are at the Milwaukee Bucks, which should be a great one. Then they return home for a four-game homestand. They got Charlotte on Friday, Miami on Sunday, Atlanta on Monday, and a back-to-back. And then they have Portland next Wednesday, and we're actually taping this on a Tuesday. So that one's eight days away. So, all right, let's take a break, Terry. When we come back, we'll talk about the Browns. A lot to go through there. We'll get into some Guardian stuff. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on Stephen Kwan and his finish in the Rookie of the Year. 
among other things ahead. And your faith column this week, and we've got some good Hey Terry questions. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell, Terry Pluto. We're going to enter the Browns segment of the show here, Terry. There's a lot to go through here. Caution. Caution. <laughs> Marty the Robot. Marty like the Robot would say caution. You can't <laughs> clean it up. All I can just say is caution. So the Browns are going to be going from like, I think it was a hundred degree feel like temperature in Miami on Sunday to there's apparently going to be a blizzard in Buffalo on Sunday. <sighs> I know you're planning on driving over for the I game. Know. But in between the hundred degrees and the blizzard, there's a lot to work through here, Terry. What was the biggest thing that was concerning to you about the way they lost to the Dolphins on Sunday? I thought on both lines, they just got destroyed. Um, They were physically overpowered, and for whatever reason, um, I'm not good enough to know. I know Teller went out, but they were playing some games without Teller anyway and gaining 100 and some yards. Um, And then on the defensive end, ugh. That is one of those – I mean, it's a cheap sh- cheap thing to say, but it's not a cheap shot. What did they do for two weeks? And if they don't think teams will run the ball against them, every single team they has pl- they've played once the season got going has run the ball against them. I remember the uh, Chargers, I think, were averaging 75 uh, yards a game on the ground when they went for, I don't know, 160 or whatever – against the the uh, Browns. I know in four of the last five games, the Browns have given up at least 150 yards rushing. So that was the thing that was the, was there. Actually, what I thought would happen didn't. I thought we'd see the return of the outrageously blown coverages. We didn't see that. I mean, they got, they got chewed up, but it was just methodical. You look, It looked like um, Tua and the boys – were the ones that had the two weeks off, and they just sat around Xing and Owen and making up all these fun play, fun plays for Raheem Mozart and everything else. Uh, and the Browns looked like they had played three days ago and just were out of it. Yeah, I mean there there was a lot going on there on that defense, Terry. I mean the thing that has to be really upsetting if you're a Browns fan is just the amount of yards that the Dolphins gained on the ground before anybody even laid a finger on them. Yeah. I mean, gaping holes. And if you look at some of the film, yes, so the defensive line was getting beat, but like the, I think on the outside of the defense, the cornerbacks, most of them don't show a lot of interest in in tackling hard and holding an edge. And it's, it's just, they're soft. They're soft in the middle and it's showing and, and everybody's picked up on it. And Lance Reisland, uh, who you know is longtime coach at Garfield Heights High School. He does a lot of film breakdowns for us. He told us before the season yes, that did. teams are going to run right at them. They're not going to run wide. They're going to run downhill and right at them because they thought they could move the defensive line out of the way. And, boy, Lance was right on that from, from the preseason. And that's exactly what's this. going on. And I'd like to see actually Lance do this, like like he has nothing else to do besides what I want to assign him. But I want to know how – Clowney and Garrett are playing the run this year because in the past they were good. I've not looked at the pro football focus ratings of late, but it seems to me it's not. Yes, there, there's a lot of uh, you know stuff up the middle, but there's a lot of off tackle. I mean, anywhere they want to run, they're running. 
Yeah, I don't have Garrett and Clowney for the season against the run, but just the PFF grades from the Sunday game, Terry, Miles yeah. was at 69.9, and that was... That's low for him. That was low for him, but it was still one of the highest on the Browns' defense. Clowney was at 57.9. That's not um, very good. You can just go down the list here. The defensive tackles, Jordan Elliott, 53.2. Roderick Perry, 52.4. Taven Bryan, free agent signing, right, from the offseason, 31.1. Tommy Togiai, 29.2. Um, it, it's just, it just goes on and on. I mean, I think the season numbers wouldn't be too far off of, for some of these guys on the defensive side. Yeah, that's what I like to see the whole – and also just him to really look at it, somebody who knows what they're looking at, and I don't, uh, to break break that stuff down – and somebody who understands schemes a lot more than I do. But, it, you know, although I'll just ask you this, I guess the, the difference is from a year ago, I think they had eight returning starters. The two Maliks were gone. And, um, well, I guess I'm trying to think who else wasn't wasn't there. The linebackers were all back. Although Walker has since been hurt. All the defensive backs, uh, Emerson's played more, but <laughs> this is what you expect from a defense that just got thrown together with a new coordinator, not what what you've got. Well, and the t- you know the two Maliks, you're right, Terry, from last season, they didn't come back, but w- what they did was they were big, mm-hmm. and they they might not be making a ton of plays behind the line of scrimmage, but they weren't getting blown off the ball the way I'm seeing these guys get blown yeah. off the ball on the inside, and yeah, maybe they weren't piling up stats, but they at least held held their ground and let some of the linebackers make some tackles. It, isn't there a really way missing. to – It's really missing David, this year. And, and I'm, I'm asking out of respect because I don't know. Isn't there a way, though, to counteract that some? Oh, of course, yeah. But, I mean, here's the thing, Terry. Like, you're playing the Dolphins, who have probably the fastest wide receiver group in the NFL, and all week in preparation, it's like, we're not going to let these guys get behind us. We're not going to yeah. let these guys get, get behind us. And so what do the Dolphins do? They they basically said, all right, you're going to play two deep safeties. We're just going to run right at you and try and stop it. And the Browns put all their faith in the front seven that they'd be able to stop their ground game, and they couldn't. I mean, they just couldn't do it, and we saw the numbers. Of course. Um, I mean, it, that happened against Atlanta, who, kept, who couldn't throw the ball. I remember they threw one pass in the fourth quarter. And it's happened with almost everybody. I'm just uh... – <laughs> I'm stopping because I was talking to somebody else, a longtime Browns fan, and I said, I'm sick of writing these stories. That thing, here's the bye week coming off the Bengals. And I'm just sick of writing this garbage that you had two weeks and you played your wor- probably your worst game of the year. In fact, I would probably say that um, that was even worse in some ways than the New England game. Because the New England game, they were sort of in it. Man, they they both were terrible. Yeah, and it, it's like everybody, a lot of the fans wants to put, single out Joe Woods or whatever. But if you think about it, there's so much going on here. I mean, Anthony Walker, they lost him to injury. So, like, you can blame injuries a little bit. And Denzel Ward was out with a concussion. 
And there's, you know, they, they kind of thought that Perry and Winfrey and Elliot were going to be better, I think, this season. Yeah, they were they really, counting, really counting on Elliot. So that's kind of the front office probably has to take some of that on. And, you know, there was, yeah, a play late, there was a play late in the game the other day where Joe Woods had it schemed up pretty good. And Tony Field stepped right up into the middle of the hole and just got juked and fell right over frontward onto his belly and missed a tackle. Like, <laughs> that's not on Joe Woods, right? So. No. I think Kevin Stefanski said it's on all of us. And I think in this case, like there is, there's a lot, everything seems to be kind of off. And although I will argue this and I'm not a big fire guy or whatever, but you reach a point with coordinators that whether miles Garrett could say whatever he wanted, that didn't mean anything. But when you say it doesn't matter if you're running through a wall, if you don't know which direction you're going, what does that mean to you? So I've been thinking about this for three days, Terry, or two days since the game. So it could mean nothing. It could mean, hey, we're running in the wrong direction. We got to get our act together. Or it could be a, a, a veiled shot at the at the play calling. I mean, it really could. Um, and, you know, Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, went back and got some clarification. And Miles put out a statement to us saying that, uh, put out a statement to her saying that he didn't mean anything by it. It was just that we need to get our, we need to get things right. together and get on the same page. But in the world where last year we saw Baker Mayfield going after the coaches two or three times during the season. And Miles you, did too here, last we, year. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. When you hear we're in the, running in the wrong direction, that's about as high on the scale of questioning things as you might see this season. I don't know. And especially when you couch it with, you can run through a wall with playing yes for playing hard, but it doesn't matter if you don't know what you're going the wrong direction. You know which direction you go. It's kind of like I don't know about you, but once in a while when I get lost and I'm driving, um, I still don't know where I'm going, but I start to drive faster. We've I all also been there. turn. I also <laughs> turn off the radio. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> No, I'm not talking about Miles Garrett fast, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I may be going like 65, and that's, you know, in the 65 now, it's like, I, I, am I going the right way on this interstate or what? And suddenly I kind of push it up to 70, you know. I'm not going to stop and ask directions, of course. When you're driving your Porsche, Terry, you got to drive faster. Yeah, than right. Man, let's uh, go. Yeah. Put the mm-hmm. pedal down. <laughs> Well, um, so we'll see what happens. It's going to be a – you better believe that Buffalo will be trying to run the ball this week after seeing that film. And I did, just on a positive note, Terry, I, I have been impressed with Grant Delpit the last few weeks. Okay. I, he's, he's been really active, um, coming up hard on running plays and trying to trying to stick his nose in there and, and make some tackles. I think he's developing into a pretty legit and good NFL safety um, the last – month or so. And I think I've, I've really noticed him making some plays. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on him, but uh, that's been one bright spot, I think. For All right. Defense. Here's a couple of guys. Let's just talk about, I mentioned this in my notes over the weekend that, you know, sort of unheralded guys, uh, Donovan people, Jones. Now he's getting more pub now, but he's been good all year. And so he's, he's strong. He'll fight, fight for, um, he'll fight a defender for the ball. Uh, Emerson's having a nice rookie year. As a as a cornerback, uh, I was told Posick. I don't know enough about this by somebody who really knows line play, but that Posick's been good at center. So they've had a couple of guys there. Defensively, though, 
you know, you want to say, boy, Tevin Bryan's playing. No, he's been terrible. Bryan's been terrible. Togi has been terrible. Elliot's been terrible. Um, they just haven't been getting much from from any of those guys. Um, Chase Winovich has barely seen the field. I forgot he's even on seriously. I yeah. forgot he's even on team. Um, so those kind of those bargain basement free agent pickups that can really help if you get on the right ones because there always are some talented guys floating around. Um, they didn't they didn't land here. So some of that isn't on the front office. Um, I don't know when. What should I'm, I'm now? I'm going to be like uh, Stefanski. You know how he does a <sighs> before he answers. <laughs> People want to take the play calling away from him and have him. I don't know. Be more of a CEO coach. I do know this. Something's got to give with the defense. Well, and it, it it goes back to the way Kevin Stefanski is calling the game. I mean, everybody after the game Sunday was like, how can you only give Nick Chubb 11 carries? The Browns have a really good record when Nick Chubb gets 20 or more carries, right? Yeah. He gets 11. Well, if, when you fall behind that yeah, far, fun. that fast, yeah. and yeah. you realize you're going to need to score 30-some points to win, like you got to throw the ball to stop the clock from moving. Uh, and yeah, that takes, and, that, and that takes the Browns right out of what they like to do, which is run the ball, run the ball, get a lead, and and just pound it. Yeah, and they I, couldn't I, do I've that. Critical of them running, but not in that game. And also early on, they just couldn't get anything on the ground going. Jacoby was under duress; he wasn't protected particularly well. Um, so, so that's that's your deal there, and. I don't know. Did you think they would be three and six at this point, or anything like that? I didn't. I, I mean, thought... they should they should have four wins. The Jets game was just a, a disaster of epic proportions, and that should have been a win in terms of mm-hmm. what they. But uh, what do they say in the NFL? Your record is what it is, right? And it doesn't lie. So yeah, and also your record is you've lost, as I wrote, you've lost um, four of your no, yeah, they're four and six. They've lost five of their last six games. That jumps out at me. So at the three and six, you're only that. Now it looks like a Haley's Comet game. That's what I call where these a season comes out of nowhere, a game comes out of nowhere. I'm talking about the Bengal game. Like the star came across the sky and lit everything up. Nobody expected that coming. Was it 32 to 13? And just like that, after a couple hours, it was gone. Well, we'll see if it returns, Terry. Uh, Deshaun Watson is back at practice mm-hmm. this week. He's able to work with the coaches. And this schedule is pretty tough the next few weeks at Buffalo on Sunday. And then the 27th, they are home Thanksgiving weekend on Sunday against Tom Brady and the Bucks. And then Deshaun Watson will be back playing on Sunday, December 4th at Houston. So well, Even like Washington, Washington looked good the other night. They play Washington at the end of the season. Washington beat the Eagles last night. And yes. played hard and pulled it out. So how about this? The Steelers are three and six also. Well, we're gonna talk about things to be thankful for later here in a minute. That's yes, something for Browns for fans to be thankful for. <laughs> yeah. The Steelers are three and six. So yeah. all right, let's move to the Guardians here. Um Stephen Kwan finished in third in the rookie of the year voting on Monday night. Uh Who Julio, second? Julio Rodriguez won and Baltimore catcher Adley Rutschman was sec uh, was second. 
Um, Rodriguez earned 29 of 30 votes. Stephen Kwan really came out of nowhere this year. Terry, what, what is next for him, and what would you like to see from him in 2022? He's he's a such a steady player defensively, and he really brought a great pitch selection and a, just a very disciplined presence at the top of that lineup this year. What would you like to see from him next year? More of the same, and you'll get right down to it. I don't see any real weakness. You have to realize he's listed at 5'9", and it's like when I did that story with Mary Kay Cabot, and she, I asked her how tall she was. She goes, well, I'm 5'2", like Baker Mayfield was 6'1". And <laughs> and he's 5'9", kind of like, you know, Baker Mayfield 6'1". So he's not going to hit for a lot of power. He might hit for a little more. But the rest of it, I mean, he wasn't just good in the outfield. He was outstanding in left field. Um, he takes a lot of pitches. He really is just one of those spark plugs at the top of the lineup that they just need. When, I mean, when they got it going with him and then Ahmed Rosario and Jose, one, two, three, that was something to see. By the way, I don't know. Isn't tonight the manager of the year? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Tito probably won't get it, but he should. Because I think the voting is all done uh, in the final week of the regular season. And they'll probably get to Baltimore. Yeah, so just to recap, tonight is Manager of the Year. Wednesday is going to be the AL Cy Young Award, which will probably go to Justin Verlander. And then Thursday is the MVP, AL MVP. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of which, Terry, Paul Hoynes and Joe Noga, who cover the Guardians for us, they're doing a podcast later this week about – how Cleveland hasn't had an MVP since Al Rosen in 1953. Jeez. Do you think, is Jose Ramirez ever going to win the MVP, do you think? Or is there someone else on this team you think could be an MVP down the road? Um, I, I often um, wonder if Jose will get it some year when it's a tight race, just as like a career achievement award, because he's been in the running so many times. What do you think? I don't think he'll ever win one here. It's just... Between being in Cleveland and his personality, which is fun for those who watch it all the time, but he's he's not out there like Lindor is and that. Yeah, he just remember what Francona said. He's really happy when his uniform is dirty, and that's what he is. He's you know, or he's a baseball player, and guys who are just pure baseball players often don't win the MVP award. You know, it goes to the guy who hits a ton of homers or or somebody who's charismatic. I mean, it's it's rough for them. You got Ontani, you know, with, he could pitch and hit. Aaron Judge hit breaking home run records. So um, I'm surprised. But, I, yeah, I think back in the 90s, um, he, um, you know, Albert didn't win it the one year when he hit uh, 50 homers and 50 doubles. So, by the way, I think Albert is up for uh, – whatever it is, like the, the old-timers thing in the Hall of Fame, just wanted on the record. I voted for Albert all three years he was on the ballot. Because um, I think he had nine consecutive years of 100 RBIs. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. It's a shame his career was cut short by that uh, hip problem. Uh, so that Albert Bell, I mean, Albert Bell and Manny was just, they had back-to-back -back incredible right-handed power hitters. And to, to see them now, Manny, you know, 
Manny comes with all kinds of bag. I mean, Albert had his baggage too. So still found it hard to believe the one year Albert was corking his bats. I mean, it's like Bill Belichick, you know, taping workouts when he has Tom Brady, you know, walkthroughs. Why? You could hit a home run with a toothpick. You don't need to cork your bat. <laughs> all right, Terry, there's um, there's some roster stuff going on this week. Actually, today the Guardians yep. are facing the 40-man roster deadline, and that allows them to protect players from being taken in the Rule 5 draft. There's sure been some interesting Rule 5 signings uh, both yeah. to Cleveland and away from Cleveland in recent years. So that's that's kind of a big thing. I wasn't sure if there's anything there you're looking for, um, but that'll be happening this week along with the other awards and everything. So that's I, just, the week in I baseball. just don't know this stuff deep enough. I'm curious to see who's on and who's off of that. Um, and, I mean, Trevor Steffen, what a grab he was from the Yankees. I mean, this guy's become – you know, one of those really good B plus A minus relievers that you want, you like to have. You like to have four or five of these guys. You line up and bring them in. Yeah, we actually have a I'm, Trevor Stephan question and Hey Terry today, so we can. Uh, wow. Yeah, I did not know that was coming. <laughs> As you can see, people who are listening can see how much planning we put on this. We pretty much just get on and go. So. Yes. <laughs> All right, Terry. Let's. Uh, I I know you're working on your faith in you column this week, and this one is not about robots, but it is about things that people are thankful for. I know you put a call out on Facebook to, and yeah. people always have such great submissions for this. Um, tell us how that one's coming together. Maybe some of the things that have struck you about with Thanksgiving approaching. That a lot of people who've gone through some very difficult things are thankful they got through it, even though there's a lot of pain, whether it's a death or cancer or something like that. And it reminds me of um, when you're going through it, the hardest thing is always the middle, the middle of any long project, the middle of any treatment, because in the beginning, you're hopeful. And then the middle, it just seems like it's never going to end. You know, we... We live life driving through the windshield, looking through the windshield, and we understand it better looking in the rearview mirror. Um, and I kind of took two cliches from other places, and I put them together for that because you 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 get it later on. And that's what a lot of people were mentioning there. I mean, like one person was talking about how they were adopted, and they think my wife was adopted. And uh, she later found her mother was a very nice lady but was reliving in almost squalor, you know. And you think, what it would have been like? And my wife, Roberta, she grew up uh, with uh, Dr. Elizabeth Monroe in Greenville, Pennsylvania. It was a very nice middle-class home, and he was a pediatrician. Um, I mean, life was different. Probably, had she not been adopted, I never met her, because then, because she went to that background, she went to Hiram College. I was there for a year. That's where I met her. And then I would transfer to Cleveland State. So, um, you know, those are those are things you see being a one, one lady said, um, my mother was a drug addict. I never knew my dad. And she grew up with a, a couple of different relatives that are different times. And she goes, says, I look back now, I goes, that was hard, but I'm so thankful for those people who stepped up. Um, so it's, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm working through a lot of that. And I always like the columns because their stories, that's why I often use people's emails in the faith column because it's faith in you. It's faith in real life. Yeah, and I'm always struck when you do this column each year, Terry, about, about people have been so much, but through so much, but they manage yeah. to keep such a positive attitude and to be thankful after everything they've gone through, like you were saying, it just really, it really kind of hits you around Thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's something I mean, else. I mean, in the end, I, and I will write it again this 
Thanksgiving Day. I'm always thankful for the people, for the readers. I'm grateful for that. I've been doing this 5,021 years or whatever it is, and, and they're still following it. Even a few people that put up, and I don't think I'm going to use it. I'm just thankful, you know, Cleveland has their sports teams. And I am too. I think because the more, the nice thing about having three teams, you just don't have to dwell on, on one or two. You, you could really uh, shop around. All right. Well, catch the Faith in You column, as always, on Saturdays on Cleveland.com and then Sunday in the Plain Dealer. It's always a good read. It's one of my favorite ones of the year, Terry. So, all right. You ready for some Hey Terry questions? Yes. All right. Uh, the first one is from longtime friend of the show, Paul Cosgrove from Stowe. And Paul says, hey, Terry and Dave, in the offseason, the Seattle Seahawks traded their star quarterback, Russell Wilson, to Denver in a blockbuster deal. Denver sent two first-rounders, two second-rounders, a fifth-rounder, Noah Fant, Drew Locke, and Shelby Harris to Seattle. Denver then signed Watson, Watson, then signed Wilson to a $165 million deal. So far, the deal has been a disaster for Denver. The Browns have reached the point in their season where their only salvation is Deshaun Watson works miracles and single-handedly saves the team. Your comments, please. Well, the big thing on Deshaun Watson is how is he going to play? Even if they're they got two more games. Oh my goodness, what if they're three and eight when he takes the field? They could be. But how's he going to look? How's he going to play? I am surprised how Russell Wilson struggled in Denver. And I hope that's not the case here. I'm, just because I wasn't big on the Watson trade and I wouldn't have made it, I don't want the guy to fail. Because if you fail on a guy that you pay $230 million for and trade a six draft choices, including three first-rounders, I believe in consecutive years, then um, where are you? You're in trouble. I mean, yeah. we've seen deals like this. This is the kind of thing where if it doesn't work, Terry, it can set a franchise back 10 years, mm-hmm. right? With really? the lost draft capital and, and just the money and everything like that. It, it's a it's a big thing. A lot of teams have gone through this where they made a big trade and it didn't work out and they it took them years and years to recover. So yeah, the I hope Broncos for Browns are, fans, it doesn't come to that. Yeah, the Broncos are three and six. I just want to, to check. I mean, the Broncos and Browns have won as many games as the Jaguars. All uh, right. So it's just it's well, something else. By the way, how about McDaniel's and Oakland having such a rough Oakland uh, Las Vegas having such a rough year? They're two and seven. So okay, with an what established quarterback. Have? All right, this one is from Alex Keen. He says, "Hey Terry, I hope all is well. Wonderful, wonderful season the Guardians have. I have two questions. Number one." C.C. Sabathia coming back to Cleveland to support Tristan McKenzie, I believe, got me wondering, mm-hmm. are Sabathia and the Guardians on good terms? And if he goes yes. into the hall, would Cleveland consider retiring his number? He did pitch more years in Cleveland mm. than New York. What interesting. Interesting, interesting. Because he'll probably go in as a Yankee. I'm guessing that. Because Cleveland did not resign him. And the Yankees kept, you know, they, they just kept giving him all kinds of contracts. Um, because I, I can't think of another player that's in the Hall of Fame that like spent like half his career in Cleveland and then went somewhere else and wasn't considered a Cleveland play. It wasn't considered a Cleveland player. I and like everybody the gets, Yeah, it is a good question. And every every Hall of Famer gets to pick their own t- uh, what cap they want to wear on their Hall of yes. Fame plaque. But 
I, I'd be surprised if the Guardians didn't put him into their Hall of Fame. Um, well, they, yeah, well, there was that whole Ring of Honor. They yeah, have, basically, right. it's got what they call it. Um, and I and I'm one of the voters for that. I mean, that's that's a lock whenever his name comes up. Yeah, be and interesting to see. The other thing about CC too, his um, his persona has always been terrific. You know, he overcame a drinking problem later in his career, but even when he was here, which apparently he said he was drinking a fair amount here, nobody knew it. Um, he certainly was. It's not like he was acting erratically or in anything like that. And just uh, he was raised right. I mean, his his parents. I met them once. Um, they really did a good job with him. Yeah, and he's had a pretty impressive career. So, all right. And then the second part of this question from Alex, he says, number two, would Cleveland consider an extension for Trevor Steffen? He might be cheap as a non-closer reliever and seems really rock solid. What do you think of Trevor Steffen's future in Cleveland? Well, I think they'll just keep him and just go through arbitration. They hate giving um, extensions to a closer unless his name is Emmanuel Classe. I mean, that's about it. They All the other ones they've had here, uh, they have not extended. Even when they had uh, uh, Cody Allen, who has had the save record, they, they didn't extend him. Uh, when Perez was a good closer for several years, they just would go year to year. Uh, and because they also believe, too, that five, six years, these guys blow out. But he's uh, he's very good. And Shane Bieber is, of course, first on their list. So I think Trevor Steffen might be a little bit down the way there. So yeah, we'll see. and also Bieber's – I think the, the number I saw for Bieber this year, I believe, is like 10 or $11 million in arbitration. So now you're getting into – if you're going to pay him that much for arbitration, can we work out something that takes away a couple of years of free agency and, you know, I don't know. 80 for four or something like that. Yeah. And that's kind of the first domino in terms of how they approach the rest of the signings, obviously, yes. because there's only Cause, so much money. So, yeah. And, and he is also, he's farther along where you start looking at Quan and Jimenez, you know, those guys are not even anywhere near arbitration. Baseball's so weird. Most fans don't know like the first three years of your career, you keep making, I mean, we all to be able to say we're only making between five and six hundred thousand dollars a year. But in baseball, that's kind of that's basically minimum wage, and that's what it is for the first three years of your contract. Then the next three, you go into arbitration, and there's all these ways it kicks your money way up. Uh, so that's why you like to kind of get them early, and you buy a bunch of free agent years later on. You're just um, gambling on what you see in that first year. Well, it turns out to uh, to be real because there's no – you're not going to find another Jose Ramirez doing what he did. He just won't. Yep, generational player, no doubt about it. So, All right, thanks for those questions. Thanks for that one, Alex. If you'd like to send us a question for Hey Terry segment of the podcast, you can send it to sports at cleveland.com or send it to Terry on his Facebook page, and we will get it on. So there you go. I think that's it, Terry. Um Oh, I wanted to put in a pitch real quick, speaking of pitches, that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on on social media right now. Things are changing. And if you're looking for a good way to kind of cut through all of that and connect directly to the reporters who cover stuff at cleveland.com, just go to the top of whatever team you're interested in. So cleveland.com, Cavs, cleveland.com, slash Browns, cleveland.com, slash Guardians. Go to the top and you'll see a blue banner and you can click on that. And you can get texts from the reporters 
while they're going into practice or while they're at a game, they'll text you what they're thinking about the team. You can text back. It's really a good way to kind of connect with us and our staff and, and the people who are on the beat every day. So check that out. Uh, let's see what else, Terry. Oh, we need to say congratulations to Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague. I, you wrote, wrote a wonderful column about her the other day. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that for a quick minute. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the big shock to me, I found a lot of things about her growing up was just a simple math that she's been doing the Browns for 31 years. I mean, she came on the Browns like in 91 with Bill Belichick. So she just had to cover all this garbage. I mean, let's get real. You know, 20, 31 seasons, four winning seasons, two playoffs, one move. I don't know how many quarterbacks, a zillion hirings and firings, even this year. It's like, really? And her... Um, energy level never fades. I, I'll tell you, David, I couldn't do it. I could I not do either. the Browns for 31 years. There is no way. The great blessing of my job, and I've been a columnist since 1993, is that um, I could basically date all three sports teams. You know, and I'm not married to one where, where she is. And it's just, the fact that she goes and she breaks stories and and works that hard and um, and just had the three kids that she's raised with her husband Bill and she talked at some length about having four miscarriages four and what that was like uh, she would I actually offered to do the column because I didn't know much about her I knew she was from here but that was about it but it was never real I never even asked her why she wanted to be a sports writer before you know I've talked to her for years and years so it was fun for me to to take somebody that I don't can she we're not good friends because of there but we're we're certainly friendly and we always have gotten along um, and got her to sit down like kind of tell me about your life yeah, and I should mention this at the top, some bad hosting on my part, but Mary Kay is going to be inducted into the Cleveland Press Club Hall of Fame tomorrow. And uh, you're right, Terry, she's one of a kind, and, and congratulations to her. So that'll be tomorrow. So that's it. Anything else, Terry? That'll do it. All right. Well, we're thankful. Speaking of things we're thankful for, thank you to all of you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, the podcast is growing, and we have a great time doing it, and we, we love uh, hearing from you. So be sure to hit us with your thoughts or comments and uh, have a great week. We'll catch you next week. Terry's talking.